I'm Dave Lombino. I'm a managing director at Two Trees, and you're about to listen to The Real Talk Podcast. And welcome to another episode of The Real Talk Podcast. Today, we're in an undisclosed location in an undisclosed office building recording with very special guests who I'm about to introduce. Well, we'll talk about the company first, Two Trees. As if you may be a fellow New Yorker, you may know Two Trees or have seen their signs across the city or maybe seen their ads. Two Trees is a Brooklyn-based family-owned real estate development firm founded in 1968. Two Trees has owned, managed, and developed a portfolio worth more than $4 billion in real estate and counting. Owning and managing more than 4,000 units, 3 million square feet of commercial and industrial real estate, and most notably developing one of the most important waterfronts in New York City called Domino Park. They also have developed, managed, currently developing Domino Sugar Factory. And also you may have read in the news, maybe in the post, maybe in the times, new project named River Ring. Two Trees, other eye-catching projects on the Williamsburg Waterfront development site, which formerly was owned by Con Edison. It was used as an oil tank storage facility at one point. Uh, Two Trees purchased the 11-acre Domino site in 2012. Today's terms, it's not that much, but $185 million. And over the past decade, has demolished 27-plus buildings and cleared the site for rezoning, excavation, and development. Most recently, Two Trees has been in the news for opening up the refinery. This is a legendary building. The refinery is a 15-story, 460,000 square foot office space within an industrial brick structure originally completed in 1884, which housed the factory and production of sugar from the company Domino Sugar. The refinery set to redefine the standards for commercial buildings in New York City, offering a world-class workspace and amenities while preserving the site's rich history and embracing sustainability. And we're gonna to get to all of that today, but I want to introduce you to our guest, David Lombino, who is the managing director of Two Trees. You've been with the company for 13, 14 yeah, years? Yeah, 12 now? years. 12 years, yep. okay, 12 yep. years and counting. Just wanted to thank you for sharing your time and being generous with us and being on the Real Talk podcast. My pleasure. So, David, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. Beautiful day. First podcast. First podcast. And I truly appreciate the opportunity to be the first batter to take a swing at this. All right. So give uh, it your best shot. Let's go ahead and start our favorite section that you all know. One word answers. The first word is 325 Kent Avenue. Popular. Mercedes house. Vibrant. One South First Street. Best in class. Gentrification. Reality. Mm. Rent control and rent regulation. More reality. Yeah. City zoning laws. Restrictive, outdated. 421A tax abatement program. Gasoline. The refinery. Historic, remarkable, the future. New York City office market. Recovering. New York City retail market. Opportunity. Domino sugar. Sweet. Social media. Addictive. Real estate reality television. Self-absorbed. Department of buildings. Improving. Local law 11. Annoying. Local 32 BJ. Our partners. Affordable housing. Important requirement. So that concludes our one word answers. I want to get back to a couple of the answers that you said, and I think it's a common topic in real estate. Real estate naturally, from a reality television standpoint, is very fun, dramatic, rich, luxurious, high commissions, high stakes. But on the other front, which is what maybe I am always reading or dealing with with our multifamily owners, is rent control and rent regulation and gent obviously the crossroads between that gentrification and also affordable housing. So you said affordable housing is something that is needed, something that you are perhaps a proponent for, or hopefully you are a proponent for, yep. and that you guys develop a lot of affordable housing. What are some of the 
issues that you see right now that should be tackled in affordable housing that would make it less of an angrier world as that part of real estate is oftentimes being considered? Sure, I, I think there's been in the last two or three years a growing realization that we need to increase our housing supply, our rental housing supply in New York City. Rents are near all-time all highs. highs yeah. You know, the supply is lagging. There were, you know, there's something like we're, we're not building nearly enough affordable housing or housing generally. And most of that is due to the expiration two years ago of, of 421A tax abatement program. Right. Compared it to gasoline because it's the, it's, it drives the engine of multifamily construction. You know, the, the property tax system in New York is such that rental housing is taxed disproportionately to other forms of real estate, single family homes, et cetera. And as a result, you need a tax abatement to pencil out these rental projects. Sure. So, you know, the, I think the, the good news is there's, I think, increasing realization that we need to do something about this. The challenge is, you know, there's a politics in the city right now where some folks in power think that, you know, real estate developers have made too much money in the last couple of decades. And why should we be giving them additional you know, incentive or subsidy to build stuff where rents are at $95 a foot. And 100 plus dollars a foot. Yeah. So that's where the rub is and what, right now. What is your answer to that being working for two trees? Yep. What is your answer to developers have made way too much money in the last decade plus? And why would, should you get a tax break? You know, interest rates are higher sure. and look increasingly it looks like they're here to stay at this rate or near this rate. It's pretty simple. It's third grade math. There is a return that people expect to get on their capital. Mm -hmm. You right now, you and I can go to the bank corner here and buy a U.S. <laughs> Treasury bill. Yeah. That pays more than 5%. Pretty safe. <laughs> pretty safe. Zero No, no defaulting tenants. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, no vacancy. No sweat equity, no blood, sweat, yeah. and tears. Yeah. Not three years of construction and construction loans and no new jobs. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, the, the rate of return on building multifamily needs to exceed the, the rate that one can get in a risk-free investment like treasury bills. And what's happened even in years where we've built a lot of housing, the returns are pretty close to what you can get in much less risky investments. So sure. in order to really have a robust multifamily housing program, private sector driven, it needs to pencil out and folks need to make more than 5% on, their, uh, on their investment. Would you say developers need, would need a reality television show about how much money they make or how much money they may not make at all to make it more of a reality of how tough this business is? It's a tough business. <laughs> I agree. You know, opening the door to the outside world and showing folks what we go through on a daily basis to build, manage, maintain, operate rental housing is no one really knows. And there's a lot of risk involved. Not everyone can kind of deal with that heat. And that's kind of why there are only a few companies in the city that are really producing multifamily in any kind of scale. That's right. I feel like Two Trees, as successful as you guys are, my first encounter with you guys was when I first started as a rental agent in 2010, 11, and the Mercedes house has, had just opened up. Mm -hmm. And I actually did a few rentals there back in the day, and that was my first experience as a Two Trees as a company. But from a New York City landscape, you guys are most certainly at the top of their game, but I also feel like you guys fly a little bit under the radar Maybe because you're not really out marketing yourselves as much. You're just focusing on your product. As an example, we get broker blasts and invitations from Glenwood 
mm -hmm. major landlord in New York mm -hmm. City, or a related, or a Sam Zell's uh, uh, equity. equity residential, yep. or yep. some of the newer players like Sleep Property Group. Mm -hmm. They are always out and about marketing yourselves. I feel like you guys kind of just produce great product, grind, build great buildings, deliver, but not necessarily are always out mixing it up with the other players in the industry. Yeah, you know, it, part of it is, it goes back to the, you mentioned we're a family-owned business. That's you know, right. there's a desire on our part to keep things manageable. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we don't want to, a company that has to double in size, triple in size. We do so much in-house. We're in so house, integrated sure. in that, in that right. fashion. We're heavily involved in the design process. We're, we're our own construction manager, our own GC. So unlike some of the folks you mentioned, we're actually like related or an Extel right. higher turner or Bovis. Yeah, exactly. Sanctioned, yeah, exactly. To say that all out, you guys do it in house. We do it in house. Right. When when the building's done, we we're involved, you know, we, we do the the finishes, the fixtures, everything is decided internally. We then lease it by ourselves, yep. no broker fees. Oh, your leasing team is actually phenomenal, by yep. the way. I Thank you. for the listeners, I recently moved to a two trees building, undisclosed address. But in Williamsburg, <laughs> you narrowed down. But yeah, the leasing team and the experience there has been, uh, was, was great. Yeah, no, terrific. Yeah. I mean, all of this, you know, we manage our own buildings. We manage our own parking, everything from the design, from the acquisition of the dirt to the rezoning, through the construction process, leasing, management, we do in-house. So I think that limits us on purpose in terms of, you said we called it being under the radar. And I think that that's part of the answer that's, for that. Yeah, yeah no, yep. that makes sense. Uh, one other thing that I liked about the, the transition into your building was they met us, like purchasing a new development. There was a punch through team, a punch through specialist, a walk through the apartment before we got the keys the day before, made sure there were items that had to be corrected before we moved in or markings or dents that were already there that we weren't going to be responsible for. Everything was noted down and filed through electronically. And that really, for me, made experience that much better as, a, as just a renter, right? But traditionally, you don't get that treatment unless you're buying new development and you have the, right. the main GC going through the punches with you to fix things before the closing. So that was a really uh, nice experience in my, in my opinion. Yeah, we hired a woman a few years ago who is our property manager for all of our Williamsburg properties. And she did 25 years in hospitality before she came to Two Trees to do multifamily rental mm -hmm, management. Mm -hmm. And 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 something I think are, you know, it's an added amenity for, for our tenants. Great leadership, for sure. Let's have the listeners, we're going to pivot. Let's have the listeners get to know David a little bit more. So the next few minutes, we're going to spend uh, time on a couple questions about yourself. So as a New Yorker, give us your favorite new or recent restaurant establishment. I've been a couple of times recently to, to Checkies, okay. um, which is really fun new place that was opened by the former front of house manager at Raul's. Oh, okay. So it's got a lot of that old school flavor. Been great this fall. Danielle, have you been? I've never heard of it. Danielle is our resident nightlife expert. Okay, check it out. <laughs> All time New York City restaurant or establishment. So I have a group of friends. We do something called Red Sauce. We sample Italian, old school Italian places around the city quarterly, let's say. Wow. Uh, in every great borough. Idea. Yeah, it's great. And the it's Red been going Sauce on Gang. For, yeah, the Red Sauce <laughs> Gang. It's been going on for about 10 years. Oh, man. So from that, I mean, I have a number of favorites. Give us maybe top three from your Red Sauce Gang. Sure. Rayo's is yep, classic. Yep. Can't go wrong with Rayo's. Yeah, I really like Bomonti's in Williamsburg. Okay. What else? I mean, and then I'm partial to some of our tenants like Missy. 
in Williamsburg as well. But yeah, those are those are some. I mean, we, we get pretty adventurous, go to places in South Brooklyn and Michaels of Nordstrand, places in Upper Manhattan, all over the place. But it's a, it's a it's a good way to kind of get out there and sample different Italian fare. I talked about Gabriel Stolman earlier. Mm-hmm. Did you know that Missy worked for Gabriel oh, really? back in the day? I didn't know that. Perla, West, oh, cool. West Village. Yeah, back in the day. They yeah, were, Missy's terrific. They were business and industry colleagues now, but they were, uh, it was a boss and uh, staff mm-hmm. back in the day. But yeah, Missy. My, that actually leads and skips to my last question I'm going to go ask now. Do you have a last minute in at Missy at any given time and at, at any night? Um, You know, <laughs> not... a, you just hesitated, so that's a yes. <laughs> Not any time, but yeah. they, we certainly can email Sean or Missy yeah. and, and, and get, get in there with a few days' notice. Um, more so at La Croc at the White oh, Hotel, yeah. which we developed. Sure, um, sure. Super close with those with that gang. And, uh, La Croc know. a deal. Yeah, right? yeah. But you call yep. it La Croc. La Croc. It's very fashionable for yep. you to say that. Yep. Okay. <laughs> I love La Croc. Okay. What about Bar Blondeau? Love it. Great. Great spot. Another spot for sunset. Then, okay. Um, first sunset. Okay. First yeah. sunset cocktails. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Really. We did a renovation up there and brought a kitchen up there about two or three years ago, and that changed the nature of the upstairs at the wife. And now they have a kitchen up there. We can do more. Do and and it's, that's a go-to uh, dinner spot now. Yeah. No, yeah. it's really great. It used to be just drinks, but now I mean, I really like they they changed the menu. Yeah. But I have I've loved the changes in the rendition rendition of their menus throughout the years. So one of my favorite spots. Yeah. We brought in great. Aiden and Jake from Shea Matant. So in Greenpoint, Greenpoint to take over our food and beverage operations at the Wife, mm. and they've done an amazing job. Okay, great. Favorite state outside of New York City, or maybe it could be a city outside of New York City. Sure, city. I would go with Rome. I just find it electric and magical. The way there's different tiers of history there. Working in real estate, also the the foundation of architecture. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and just the just the the electricity in the Italian capital is pretty fun. From states- You should I, take the red sauce game too Well, long. I should, they, they're eager to do that. <laughs> We've talked about Sicily, one of the members is Sicilian. Sicilian. But from a state, I'm going in the opposite direction to Montana, where I spent some time as a young adult and where I try to take my daughters on a regular basis. We're a part of Montana and why were you there? I was there in college and actually in high school work. I worked on a, a cattle ranch and then I worked in Bozeman, Montana for a, a manual labor temp agency, which was some of the, the, the hardest work I've ever, ever physically I've ever done. Worked at a sawmill, but I was there for being, you know, the outdoors and the access to the outdoors. I'm a uh, avid fisherman, avid skier. So, do you prefer fishing down the Galton or the Yellowstone? I mean, floating the Yellowstone is great. So yeah, if you can uh, waiting, get out there. waiting the Galton, waiting is the your, Galton, is your yeah, or the Madison. And Big Sky is obviously a destination that any kid would love to go to summer or spring or in yeah. the winter. So, I took my girls to a ranch there last summer, and they had a, like a dude ranch, and it had just a blast. Everything. Yeah, it's it's, it's an adult and kids playground. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Great. Great. Same. I love Bozeman and love Montana and uh, Yellowstone National Park in Wyoming. So it's, it's one of the, I think the best parts of America. Right I there. agree. Yeah. I totally agree. The show Yellowstone is also. I the, haven't seen it. Oh, you haven't? Oh, you no, would like it. But everyone like at this dude ranch actually had seen it. Yeah. I think it's a big driver. I'm sure they have some tourists they, now. They yeah. have some opinions about yes, that show. Do. I'm sure yes, like we do. have opinions about real estate reality television. <laughs> right. uh, but yes, I, I think you would like that show. Okay, so where are you from originally? Where did you grow up? I'm born and bred New Yorker. Okay. Grew up on the Upper West Side as a result of being a Manhattanite. I was a late adopter to Brooklyn. Didn't move here until about 10 years ago. But I, now my whole life's here. I live here, my 
kids go to school here, I walk, I work here. You know, I'm in Manhattan usually once a day, but I'm, I'm Brooklyn-based. You get a free apartment from a Two Trees apartment? No, not working? free. No, it's not no, free, okay. No, yeah. no. So that'd be a perk of the be, job. That would be amazing. <laughs> not like a superintendent, like you, you, yeah. you don't get to live there for nope. free. Okay. <laughs> and uh, tell us about Two Trees. How did you find yourself working? Yeah. I think you, I, you used to work for the city, correct? I did. I had a, a pretty roundabout way of landing here. I started as a journalist out of college and did a worked for a now defunct New York newspaper called the New York Sun, and I covered real estate and development. And this was in the aughts. There was a lot going on, kind of rebuilding from 9-11, a lot going on in lower Manhattan, a lot of big mega projects. And I started covering them as a as a reporter and then I eventually became the city editor and and ran our all of our New York City coverage and folks from the newspaper son have gone on to do amazing things in journalism I kind of saw the writing on the wall that it wasn't going to last there I'd worked closely with folks in the Bloomberg administration and they invited me over to to work at the Economic Development Corporation where I was for about four years in Bloomberg's second and third terms. Okay. That was super fun, fast-paced time when, you know, we had tremendous leadership from City Hall, I think, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And then I saw this opportunity to go to the private sector. Two Trees, back in 2011, was just finishing up Mercedes' house. We hadn't bought in Williamsburg yet. And I really hit it off with Jed here, and that was 12 years ago. And that was the start. That was the start. So you weren't even asking for a job or requesting for an interview. You just found yourself through yeah, through, yeah. through your work. Yeah, um, your I mean, life. actually one of my mentors, Jim Whalen actually runs Rebney now. He was instrumental in, in bringing me, recruiting me from journalism to the city and then from the city to the private sector. So, mm -hmm. you know, I get to work with him a fair amount now, which is a joy and- uh, Which is great. Yeah. Your, your public sector experience definitely helps you in what you do yep. in, in the private sector. Yep. We want to switch. Uh, there's a lot of things going on with your company, and, and we could probably talk for 10 hours on every single aspect of what's happening in your company. Uh, really exciting times, I think, for you guys. But just right off the bat, there's so many projects right now. What's your favorite? Everything Domino Everything is Domino. exciting. Yeah. You okay. know, Domino Park, building the actual park, six acres, we're actually adding another acre next summer, has been a, a joy. You know, you don't get to build a lot of things that are like park that are permanent and beloved by a large swath of the neighborhood of the city. I remember the day we, we cut the ribbon and people just started to filter <laughs> in and it was an amazing feeling. And the park's been a, a runaway success. We've had many millions of visitors go there on a Thursday afternoon and it's an incredible mix of New Yorkers. It feels like a real New York City place. It's not from another city. It's not about the residential or office buildings that we're putting there. It's it's a genuinely unique destination and working on that was the most fun I've ever had. Domino Park is phenomenal. Absolutely. I mean, one of the reasons why I moved to one of your buildings is, is that just having Domino Park right there. Even during COVID, you guys really did a cool job drawing the circle in, yeah. the, in, the, in the lawn. Yeah, we and spray painted the, spray the circles. Painted the circles. Yep. And uh, I mean, we have worked out there every morning yep. in those circles, yep. along with the same 20 people at 7 a.m. And it's been, uh, you know, you get the, having that park there just adds so much dimension to the neighborhood and the area. So that's, um, you know, really a kind of a special place and a destination for just New Yorkers, but even people from out of town, I think. 
every time I have friends that come and visit, you know, Domino Park is the place to go visit first, hang yep. out, and then, you know, go to the areas, retail destinations around that park. But while we're on the park, I want to talk about the refinery because I think that's, to me, the most exciting Mm-hmm. project that you guys are working on right now and not being a not because i'm a commercial agent i don't really i don't do commercial i have a guy in my office that does we don't handle commercial leasing clients we don't hire commercial sales or retail leasing but being living there and seeing that building back and forth for the last uh, seven six or seven years i've seen the changes seen the construction seen the scaffolding go up and down seen the various people the demo work the cranes the street shutoffs all of that yep. so what is the refinery, it just maybe in, in a couple sentences, to you, why is this significant to the neighborhood? Why is it significant to the commercial world of New York City as well? And what is the future of the refinery as we move forward into 2024? Yeah, so the refinery, so when we bought the Domino site in 2012, there was a previous plan from a CPC Resources previous owner to do dense residential on the entire 11 acre site. The yeah. refinery was going to be for sale condominiums. We bought the site, we wanted to reevaluate plans there based on our experiences as a company, our philosophy, our experience in Dumbo. And we decided that we find all residential enclaves to be pretty uninteresting places. Mm. Um, if you look at the way Battery Park City was, it's gotten a lot better portions of the Upper West Side and all those Trump developments. Riverside Boulevard with Excel with Excel and Trump. You know, they're they're you know, they're not very interesting places. So we we looked at our experience in Dumbo and evaluated it and decided to flip the use of the refinery from residential to commercial office, ground floor retail. Mm-hmm. And that was a pretty unique decision. I mean, even at the time no one traded residential density for office. Uh, one is worth more than another. You know, certainly if you're in Midtown Manhattan, it was different, but outer borough spec office was not something that had a high value on it. So it was a pretty unique decision. We also put 160,000 square feet at 10 grand, which is a, 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 an arm of one South first. So we added office to the mix. We then went back through a ULER process, the Uniform Land Use Review process, which is the political process to change zoning. Tore up the existing plan and hired shop architects and James Corner Field Ops, the folks that did the High Line, to re- reconsider and came up with the, the current plan today, which is still 3 million square feet of residential, but bigger park than was approved before and a different mix of uses than was available before. So that's the context. You know, we really wanted it to be commercial office. Then there was the process of actually designing and, and executing, you know, 130-year-old building landmark. And that was incredible challenge. We worked with Sean Chakrabarty and his team at at PAL on a design that was both, we thought, marketable as office space and doable as a construction you know, engineering feat. We took the facade of the building, which is landmarked, and braced it, and then hollowed out the entire inside of the building. Every piece of machinery that we broke down had to be broken into small enough pieces to get out a window of the refinery because we couldn't open the facade because it's landmarked. Literally used blow torches to break down cast iron, 100-year-old equipment, take it out a tiny window in the door at ground level. Um, that took a couple of years. Then we poured a new foundation, which allowed us to take the braces off. And then we went ahead building up in Class A steel office building in in the middle of the building. So we're essentially building a building within the building. Design was such that we recessed the walls of the new building so that 
all the way around the refinery, there's a 12 foot gap between the landmarked historic facade, which we repointed for about $10 million over the course of two years, did like painstaking work with the bricks and made them clean them and restored them. And the, the new state-of-the-art all-electric office building on the inside. What that does is it allows light and air into core of the building in a way that if we just built the building to the, to the facade, you wouldn't get. So if you're in there, you'll see that the multiple windows from where you're standing in a new office there, different views out of each window. It's a very cool effect that was very purposeful and um, from the, our design. You're not walking through an office space and looking into a brick wall is what you're saying. Right, it's exactly. Like the windows are actually there and you get to see an interesting vantage point of the city through yep. those brick yep. windows, yep. original brick windows. Yep. The, the restoration of that facade, is that brick, all original yep. brick from 100 plus years ago? Yeah. Yep. That must have been, I mean, going literally with the word brick by brick. Yes. Applies in the scenario. No, I think there are people out there with toothbrushes <laughs> just painstaking restoration. Yeah. You kept the entire facade itself. The cost to do that, I don't even know where to begin. How does a developer know when there's not going to be a cost overrun trying to just preserve just the facade and you're gutting the entire inside of a building? I think other developers, when we bid on the property in... 2011 and 2012, I think people were scared off by the refinery. Yeah, People saw it as a loss leader, as a, too risky. We saw it as an opportunity, you know, to have a building at the center of the 11 acre domino site with that historic fabric, with that story, with that history, with that architecture, work to make a place there in a way differentiates it from other new developments around the city, other mega projects. We have the refinery and we see that as an incredible asset. No other area in Manhattan to present day that has this, what you call, uh, compared to the Battery Park City, or you, call, you compare it to uh, Riverside Boulevard where Excel and Trump did a whole row of new construction condos without an office building, developed by, I think it's Costas Condolence was the architect there, but there is no pre-war element to any of these neighborhoods. Right. And, and keeping that pre-war facade there really distinguishes itself. And I can't even think of maybe another city in the world that has this type of uh, endeavor that you guys accomplished. So that's, I can understand why developers would be scared off or just don't, do not want to take that type of risk to keep that facade there. That's um, really fascinating. To get that thing structurally sound, and I guess this is more of an engineering or construction question, that endeavor must have been uh, painstakingly difficult. Yeah, work from a structural engineering perspective, it's a, a feat. It's a real accomplishment. Engineering nightmare or a dream for yes, some. Yes, exactly. I'm, yeah. Our, the amount of weight, let's just say, on the bottom facade of those bricks, that the load bearing, the structure to make sure that the bottom bricks do not crumble, um, must be just the next level engineering. Paying so much weight. Yep. No. And not having a structural back. <laughs> I mean, we had some experience. Dumbo, where cut our teeth working with existing landmarked buildings, these old manufacturing buildings where we're sitting now, 45 Main, 55 Washington, yep. 20 yep. J Street, about a million and a half square feet of office. So we had experience dealing with these older buildings. Mm -hmm. So, it, you know, we weren't a novice. Uh, we also redid 110 Livingston, you know, downtown Brooklyn, Brooklyn Heights, the old Department of Education building where that we re restored and refit as a condo building around, you know, early 2000s. So we had some experience and that gave us a fair amount of confidence we could, we could tackle uh, the refinery. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Want to switch gears on the refinery, but on the leasing side, obviously in New York City, 
Seattle, according to Refkin, our CEO. Office markets have come back in these two respective areas on the macro level in America. We know this because residential in Midtown is back. We know this because in condo sales in Seattle are up significantly uh, year over year. That being said, the majority of these occupied office buildings are companies in Class A buildings. So you have 420, uh, 425 Park, obviously one Vanderbilt being a maybe an exception. They, they're achieving record-breaking rents. The other office buildings have not recovered as well. This is a Class A office building at the refinery. The Class A office buildings are doing well. What, are you see, what types of tenants are you seeing now? And do you have full confidence that this will be a fully occupied or fully leased? Maybe it is by now. Or fully no, leased not space. yet. We've not only yet. been open three, we've only been <laughs> okay. open three weeks. Okay. But, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. No, I think, you know, we're, we're getting good traffic, lots of tours, lots of interest, a couple of proto leases in the works. We had a fair amount of confidence in the office market, in the outer borough, in the North Brooklyn office market to be more specific because we built 10 grand domino during the pandemic, mm -hmm. opened it leasing office there like a couple weeks before it all went down mm -hmm. in March of 2020. And that was scary. It's a different building than the refinery. They're small, 6,000 square foot floor plates, about 21 of them. We leased it up during the pandemic to mostly Brooklyn-based founders. So folks that live in Williamsburg, Greenpoint, Bushwick, Fort Greene, Clinton Hill, far south as, as Brooklyn Heights and Cobble Hill, et cetera. But folks didn't want to commute into Midtown um, or lower Manhattan on a daily basis when they lived in Brooklyn. And that was kind of the bread and butter story of 10 grand. And that's what we're going to see at the refinery for the most part, in addition to folks yeah. moving offices from Manhattan to Brooklyn. We think the opportunity to be in the refinery, to rebrand yourself as to maybe a younger generation of office workers and if you're a, a legacy media company and you want to present yourself as a, as a younger facing organization, what better to have a, an iconic office on the Williamsburg waterfront. Mm -hmm. So we, we really addition to the folks that live locally and want to stay local as opposed to trek into Midtown, you know, that we'll see in a way that really hasn't happened to date in Brooklyn. We'll see people uh, immigrate here from the Manhattan office market. What types of companies, again, you said creatives, are we talking, is it design, is it art, is it media agencies? What, what are we talking yes. about in terms of Yes, of all of the above. We don't, you know, I, right now we're just marketing to a lot of press coming out of the opening, a lot of attention to the building. You know, somebody said it's the it, it building in the city right now. We were taking advantage of that, that momentum and, and, and marketing to anyone that'll listen. And, and we, you know, we signed Equinox. We ran an, an RFP there, talked to a number of operators. We've worked with Equinox in the past. We chose them so they'll have a full floor of the building and part of the sub-basement where there'll be a pool. So that so was the first one. So they're taking the full retail space? No, there, the or? second floor. The second floor, okay. They'll take the second floor and then you'll be able to go down to the So to the skip the lobby level. and then you can go downstairs. Yep. Okay, so yep. and that's full floor meaning how many square feet? I so think it's 35,000. 35,000, okay. Yeah. So, so that was actually part of my question is the Equinox to me is an interesting signing because that area is also not just two trees buildings, but there's a related building there. There's obviously Austin Nichols. There's probably a dozen other smaller buildings there. They're all driven to sell or lease to those people that want amenitized buildings. Yes. Right? So the Equinox to me is an interesting signing because every one of these buildings that are surrounding that area, they most of them own. have their own. Yeah have their own facilities. Now, yeah. One South One has a beautiful gym. I, you know, Austin Nichols has an insane gym. Their gym is probably one of the better ones in Manhattan that I've seen when selling and renting in, the, uh, in, the, in this environment. So do you think Equinox would be an even better option than 
I, you know, I, it's part of the acknowledgement of the changing nature of work. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, you, people working from home, you need to, you need to entice them to come to the office. And I think, um, you know, having a, a, a world-class gym in, in the office building is a real, is a real amenity for, for the office. Especially workers. for the tenants. It's yeah. a great answer. Yeah. You're right. You're not really relying on 325 Kent tenants no. to be a member. Although I'm sure there will be a lot, yeah. but then not entirely will be uh, getting a membership at Equinox. Yep. The refinery is an all electric building. Can you define what that exactly means? And is it LEED certified? There's different levels of LEED from what we have been reading you know, in the industry trade. What exactly does that mean? Yeah, it means there's no, there's no natural gas in the building. So it's much easier to do an office building without natural gas than it is a residential building because you, you know, there's less demand for heat and hot water. Um, and uh, so we, we saw an opportunity to go all electric. You know, our next residential building at Domino will also be all electric. That was harder. And so, you know, we, we see the way the, the, the wind is blowing and, and it's, you know, if it's not a requirement yet, it will be soon for, you know, all new residential buildings to, to ditch gas and go all electric. So, yeah. From a cost basis standpoint as a developer, is it more cost effective to go all electric? Not yet. No. You know, the technology is not there yet, um, but it's trending in that the, the gap has narrowed and it's an investment. I mean, I think, you know, somewhere there's a tenant who prefers, you know, an all electric unit to a to a unit with um, with stovetop, you know, with gas. Cooking gas. Yeah, sure. cooking gas. The new normal people are, you know, consumers are are increasingly, I think, swayed by the, the, the climate change, you know, and the changes that that's brought on on construction. And, and you know, it, we see it as an asset. Yeah, understood. The rooftop of the refinery, I just want to briefly cover this because it seems like, and I haven't been in there yet, but the photos, it seems like it's just a pure event space. So is that permanently going to be an event space there? Yeah, so it's very raw right now. We hosted Hermes there for Fashion Week. They did a terrific 600-person, 700-person party and runway show. Um, Were you at that one, Danielle? Oh, the invitation got lost in the mail, huh? <laughs> we did. Were you there for this? I was there. Okay. Um, How was it? It was cool. I was the yeah. least cool person there um, by a lot. Did you Did you get a scarf or something? No. No. Okay. No. I, I, I was, in, you know, slightly embarrassed with my own um, attire, <laughs> but I, it's, it's, it's encouraging to know that New York City is still has all those cool people because um, I don't see them on a, on a daily basis, but they're, they're there. Uh, so, but, it will, but going back to the question, it will be a oh, yeah. event so, space, you think, or well, no, I, no tenant will take that space? No, I mean, so they're, they're about a third of the penthouse will be a tenant amenity. Okay. So we'll set up a little kitchen up there, a bar, a bar. you can reserve it if you're a tenant of the building, have meetings up there, have, you know, apres work up there. And, and so that view and, and that space, which is pretty iconic with the curved steel, you know, will be accessible to tenants. And then the other part of the event space will, will be a, you know, will be a, a proper event space with, 
you know, for available for companies yep. or weddings yep. or whatnot. Yep. Okay. I thought it would be cool if maybe it's gonna be pricey like for a, weddings. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. I heard it was a sixty thousand minimum. I think it's more than that. More than that. Okay, yep. that's what I figured. Yep. Based on the photos I saw, it looked really nice. Yep. We don't have that much time, so mm -hmm. I do want to touch base on the last few minutes here on the as a, going to board meetings at the Austin Nichols. They talk about the River Ring project mm -hmm. consistently because the South Facing residents don't want demo work going on in front of their balconies yep. and their apartments. Yep. And and you have in, in even in public, this is interesting. I thought it was weird. The president of one of the Northside Pier Towers uh, publicly voiced their opinion on gentrification when he is actually the gentrifier. That that was funny and interesting. But so what is the status right now with the River Ring and what's the future in the next four to five years without sure. without without land before we get to river ring we have a you know we have a couple more buildings to finish at at domino sure, just, yeah. to the, the two, just to the south two more towers to two the towers south. going up what we call one domino square 600 apartments including about 150 condos and about 400 and something um rentals uh, including about 130 affordable units. That project will be, will be done in May. Mm -hmm. Then we'll shift our attention to Site B at Domino, which is a 1.2 million square foot building. We call it the Big Donut. That's directly next to One South First. That's directly next to yeah. One South Where First. Where the paddle courts are right now. Yep, yep. Mm -hmm. We're in the process of design development there. Or we'll break ground there probably you know, in 24 at some point. We'll shift our attention to Rivering. Rivering, 1.2 million square feet of mostly residential space, four acre park that connects to Domino, working with Bjarke Angles and our friends, you know, who are actually our office tenants here in Dumbo. They're terrific. And, and again, with field operations who, you know, did Domino Park and the High Line. So pretty exciting project, you know, went through a land use review process, political process at the very of the Blasio administration. You know, there was some pushback from the immediate neighbors. You know, the, the neighborhood has seen a lot of development in a relatively short period of time. So there's a fair amount of development fatigue. Uh, that being said, we were successful at persuading folks that the need for housing and affordable housing is such that in wealthy neighborhoods with good schools and good access to parks and good access to transportation, you need to have more residential. So. We were successful in, in persuading the council member and the planning commission and the city that, that, that River Ring should move forward. You know, one big thing that we need in order to build River Ring is a, a new tax abatement program. The other one's expired, 429 is expired. You know, we're hopeful and optimistic that there'll be a replacement program um, and, and that we'll be able to, uh, to move forward with that. But either way, you know, we're looking at a at 2025 groundbreaking at the very earliest so yep. it's still down the road yep uh, one last question before we wrap up is the two towers going south of the refinery the half rental half condo as a broker professional in the industry we're always a little hesitant to, to show clients a half a rental mm -hmm. half condo project primarily because of don't forget wear and tear forget the type of tenants forget the environment but the lending side good example is 75 wall street 75 mm -hmm. wall actually used to be the andas hotel mm -hmm. oh uh, yeah in, in downtown it used to, before that it was jp morgan chase hakimian organization purchased it they converted it into the andas half upper condos and then it became uh semi-rental and then and then still condos on the top floors so the challenge there is the banks don't like to lend in those types mm -hmm. of scenarios. Is do you have any? Do you guys have a plan for that, or have discussed the how that how that's going to be structured, or will you have a preferred lender? 
that's going to be there? How do you question. plan to present Good that? Good question. I mean, we're in front of the, you know, getting our, our plan approved at the attorney general's office now. Hope to launch sales in early uh, 24. I think one of the towers is is all condo. Pure, pure, and, oh, and, oh, one is pure condo. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it. And one is, is all rental and mixed income. Hopefully that will give lenders, you know, okay. a, a piece of some a piece of mind. But we've worked, you know, we're we've got a good track record, you know. Certainly, if uh, we have our preferred lenders, um, you know, I think it, it it's this isn't you know our our first rodeo. Yeah, so, so it itself out. Yeah, yeah, and I think it should work. Given your out. history, yeah. Well, David, thank you so much for yeah, your time. Really appreciate it, listeners. I'm gonna plug his uh, the well the company's social media mm -hmm. and uh, website links. Uh, so please check out the show notes. And thanks again. Yeah, my pleasure. Much appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Thank you.